Thanks to Pine Cove Summer Camps for supporting the happy hour with Jamie Ivy. You guys, the Ivy kids are going to camp. They love Pine Cove. We have been sending our kids to Pine Cove for years and years and years. And here's why. Because we trust Pine Cove. We trust their counselors. We trust their mission. And it is such a fun experience for my kids. Check out pinecove.com and use the code HAPPYHOUR250 for $250 off a first-time overnight youth camp registration. That's pinecove.com. Use the code HAPPYHOUR250. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to the happy hour. If you listen to this show on a regular basis, you might be saying, wait, Jamie, it's Monday. You only put out shows on Wednesdays and Fridays. Well, you know what? You're right. I only put out shows on Wednesdays and Fridays, but today is a special edition show. And I'm telling you, you're going to be giddy over this show. It's so much fun. If you listen to the happy hour, one of the things that you love, and I know you love it because you keep listening and you keep telling me that you love it, is you love the stories. And that is how this whole show started was I wanted to share stories that change the world. And I say it all the time. You have a story, you listener right now, you have a story that has the ability to change the world. Oftentimes, it's the world right in front of you. It's the people right around you. But you know what? We love stories. We are humans who love to hear stories. And so today is an episode all about my friend Paul, who has his own podcast that I want to encourage you to go listen to it. And his show is dedicated to just that. His show is dedicated to sharing stories. Paul Hastings, who's on my show today, he's an award-winning podcaster, filmmaker, speaker, and entrepreneur. He's the host of Compelled, which is a podcast that shares unique stories about God transforming Christians around the world. You guys, I'm a Compelled listener. I have listened to so many of them. It is the show that I want to put into my ears sometimes when I'm feeling a little discouraged because it is such a great reminder of the way God is moving in everyday people's lives. The people on his show, they're everyday people just like you, just like me. I asked Paul to come into the studio and talk with me literally about why he started this show. Why does he want to tell stories? What's important about stories to him? He shares a little bit about how his life was transformed when he realized one day, like, I'm a workaholic and how God used that awakening to change him. I want to tell you this. We share in this show a clip from one of his shows because tomorrow on January 31st is the 20th anniversary of the Columbia tragedy. Some of you guys were not even alive then, but most of my listeners, you guys will remember this. And so Paul has an episode all about that. And we share a clip of it in the show today. I just want you to know, I love stories. Stories change the world. We wanted to bring you this special episode with Paul Hastings just to really spotlight the way that stories are changing the world and how God is actually changing everyday people's lives for his glory. Before we get to that, I want to say that today is a special day around here. Today is the fifth birthday of my original book, (laughs) my very first book called If You Only Knew, My Unlikely, Unavoidable Story of Becoming Free. You guys, I look back on this book that released five years ago, and I am so grateful for the work that God has done through this book. I still hear from so many people about how this book changed their lives. What they really mean is that God used my story to then move in their lives, to then change their lives. Because listen, Jamie Ivey cannot change anyone's lives, but I really believe that God and his son, Jesus, and his spirit can do so much work in your life. And so today is five years that that book has been out into the world. I still look back on that book as one of my favorite books I've ever written. I mean, I it's not like I've written a ton of books, but actually, side note, in two days, I turn in another book. Oh my gosh. 
But I look at that book and I just think, God, that is the story that you started in my life. That is the way that you transformed me. That is how I can bring so much hope to the world. So if you've read the book, if you only know, gosh, I'm grateful. If you never have, I want to tell you that in our store, you can get it anywhere. You can get on Amazon. It'll be at your doorstep probably tomorrow morning. But in our store, which is jamieivy.com slash store, I have the book over there, if you only knew. And I want to give you a discount that's good for the next week as you're listening to the show. Uh, just use the word five. F-I-V-E. You're going to get 40% off of that book over at my store. If you want to make it out to you or to a friend, you can just put that in the notes. I just really love the fact that this book is five years old. Isn't that like when we send our kid to kindergarten? It's like when they're really starting to do things on their own. So happy birthday to If You Only Knew. Go to jamieivy.com slash store. Use the code word five to get 40% off of that book, If You Only Knew. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the happy hour. I hope you enjoy this special edition. I loved chatting with Paul. You're going to love him as well. And then when you're done, seriously, go 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 and subscribe to Compelled. You will not regret that decision. All right, here is my conversation with Paul Hastings, the host of Compelled Podcast. Paul, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. It's fun to have another podcaster in the podcast yeah, studio. Yeah, it's very unusual for me to be on this side of the mic. Like this never happens for me. You know what's funny is... Um, this is the last show in January, and the first show in January, uh, on this show, The Happy Hour, a friend interviewed me. Oh, really? Yes. And so we nice. kind of switched things up a little bit, and nice. I was telling her when we started the show, I said, this is very vulnerable because I feel out of control. Yeah. And when it's your show, you're in control. Yeah. And so welcome to the out of control seat today. Ah! 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 <laughs> Save me now! Save me now! <laughs> uh, but you are a podcaster, so tell everybody what you do. Yeah, so I live very close to you, only an hour away, actually, mm-hmm. and I'm a podcaster. My show is called Compelled, and I interview people with unique stories, how God has transformed their life. We add sound effects and music and narration and make it an immersive experience for listeners to enjoy. Which is really great because podcasting, you and I both know, uh, we love podcasts, obviously, we do it for our jobs. Yeah. Uh, but it is changing a lot in the yeah. way people listen to things. Yeah. I'll give you an example, audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you an audiobook listener? Uh, not really. Okay, I-, I wouldn't say I'm like a avid audiobook listener, but what I do love listening to audiobooks on are like memoirs. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially the oh, my, person. My wife does the same thing. Okay, actually, so if the yeah. person is telling their story. I am in. Yeah, I'm in. The best one I listened to last year, Katie Couric. Mm. Okay, she told her whole story. So yeah. great. But one thing I'm noticing about audiobooks, especially with memoirs, is they're putting a lot of sound effects in. Really? Yeah. So when I listened to Will Smith's memoir, when he was talking about an episode from Fresh Prince of Bel Air, yeah, they played a clip. Yeah. And so you just felt, and when he was talking one time about being at church with his grandmother, you could hear gospel singing in the yeah. back. Yeah. And so I love that about your show yeah. too, because it makes it un- a unique listener experience. Yeah. Yeah. We have a very similar approach because I think. It, really helps make things feel more like you're there in the moment yeah even it's a subconscious right mm-hmm. like it's just like adding those little you know the will smith thing yeah. with the gospel choir in the background just like brings you into the moment yeah. there do you do all the editing everything no i've got a team that works with me so okay. i'm the guy who goes and does all the interviews we record all of our interviews in person and then i'll sit down with the creative team we've got two other guys that i work with and we'll kind of put our brains together like hey how can we help this story really come to life and because the original interview that we'll do will be somewhere between like two to four hours long and so it's like, how do we condense this into the like the 45 minutes that really matter? I mean, that's journalism. Yeah. I just need everyone to know this is not what we do at the happy hour. <laughs> People are like, do not get us confused. Yeah. We're having fun and we're talking. Yeah. We don't have a lot that we edit out of our shows over here because it's, it's just a different kind of concept for show. But yeah. I am really grateful for the show that you put out. I'm really grateful for you doing it. And in just a minute, we're going to talk about a specific show, which, oh, I can't wait to tell you about it. But I do want to hear... 
what we have in common is we believe that stories really matter. Yeah. Stories yeah. change the world, especially yeah. as followers of Jesus. We yeah. see people's stories. We hear about their stories. And somehow we see ourselves in that story, mm. even if it has nothing to do with us. That's right. I want to ask you about a part of your story. Yeah. And you are open about saying that you used to be a workaholic. Yeah, it's true. So I want to hear a little bit about that story and what Jesus did to redeem that in your life. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, um, so here's the story, right? And I'm going to try to make it brief here. But uh, for 10 years, I worked in Texas politics. I was a political wonk. Uh, I worked solely on public policy stuff and campaigns, did that all the time. Are you a lawyer? No, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I was engaged in a lot of lawsuits too, though. So just okay. like a lot of stuff. And But it came to a point where like I, that was, my whole life was just completely consumed by uh-huh. that. And I got married in 2015. And so my wife and I had been married for about three years. And I was just completely obsessed with the work that I had because I found it really rewarding yeah. and you know enriching and everything. And I felt that it was some type of kingdom work also. Yeah. Um, but it got to the point where like, basically, if my candidates were doing well, then I had a happy attitude. And if my candidates were doing poorly, I would come home and unfortunately just kind of like take carry it out. Carry that of, into your just life. Just carry yeah. that into our, like our home life, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just getting really out of control. And so at one point, we now had a three-year-old daughter and we had a, a, a brand, new, brand new baby boy. And uh, he was about a month old. And a new project came onto my palette that I could work on. And I knew that, you know, if I, you know, worked on this project, it would become a viral success. Like I had the p- potentiality of like, you know, making this awesome project for an awesome client and everything. And and uh, my wife said, Paul, I really don't think you should do this. Like we have this like one month old boy, you know, and like we've got three, you know, I'm still like postpartum and stuff. Right. And we got this other kid, this yeah. toddler at home and everything. And I was like, babe, don't worry about it. It's just going to be like two weeks of super intense work. And it'll be totally fine. Don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, we went back and forth, went back and forth and everything. I said, you know, and finally she said, okay, Paul, you know, if you, if you want to do that, you could do that. And so I was like, awesome. And so I threw myself into this project, right? And so I, I'd routinely been working like 60-hour work weeks, you know, week after oh week after gosh. week. But then the week that we launched the project, I worked like a 70-hour work week, and then I work an 80-hour work week, and then I work a 95-hour work week. Seriously? And I know this because I track all my hours because I'm a nerd like that, right? Wow. So I do this 95-hour work week. Okay, end, I, I just need to ask a question. I, I can't even fathom this. Yeah. 95 hour work week, your work, your start time and your end time is what? Uh, so I would like start around maybe like 5 a.m. Uh-huh. and end around maybe midnight, okay. something like that. You know, you got to make, you got to make stops to use the bathroom. Yeah. You got to make stops eat. to eat, drink, sleep. And that was basically it. Yeah. Like there's only 168 hours in the week, right? Mm-hmm. So it was crazy. And the success, uh, the project was incredibly successful. We got aired on Fox News and Dr. James Dobson brought, flew us out and everything to talk about this project and everything. It was a huge success, raised millions, or not millions, but you know, hundreds of thousands of do- uh-huh. dollars, right? Huge success. But at the end of the, this week, I realized like, oh, wow, huh, this is funny. Like my arm hurts, you know, like, and I'd experienced like some arm pain if you're on the computer like all day long. Okay, you know, it's a little sore. You just sleep it off, right? But I was like, okay, well, fine, I'll go to bed. And the next morning I wake up and it's like, huh, that, that really hurts. It really hurts a lot. But I just kept on working, right? Because that's all I could do. I just yeah. had to keep working. And the third day, I woke up and it hurt so bad. My right arm, it hurt so bad. I was like, I can't really use it. But no worries. I have another arm. <laughs> I'll just use that one instead. So now I'm like using my mouse, typing with my left hand, all these things I'm not supposed to do, right? You know, with your left yeah. hand instead. Uh-huh. And then the next day, the left hand was hurting too. And in the course of basically seven days, I went from being a fully functioning, you know, dude who was like a spreadsheet wizard and could do yeah. anything on the computer to basically being immobilized. I could not use either arm. There was excruciating pain in both arms. It felt like needles were like shooting up and down my wrist. And uh, I could no longer open the car door. 
I could no longer drive. Um, I had trouble opening doors in our own house, like just like the door to the kid's bedroom. Yeah. I could not hold my one month old son. Um, and really I, I couldn't do, it was even painful even to hold a cup or use a, nor- a knife or a fork. And it was just like, what, what in the world has happened here? Yeah. But at the same time that all this was going on, two weeks beforehand at church, right? Even though like I was working crazy work hours, we still prioritize going to church. Yeah. Two weeks beforehand at our church, our church had just announced that they were launching this um, beta test of like a marriage group that they were going to okay. do at church. And they were looking for a young couple to participate. And they had the five older couples. They just wanted a young married couple. Uh-huh. And so we were that young married couple. They came and asked us, hey, would you guys like to, you know, be uh-huh. part of this uh group and everything and we said sure you know why not you know and of course i was thinking like yeah awesome we'll get to learn from these other married couples right. da, da, da. but our marriage is great you know <laughs> rock solid awesome right and i had no idea that my wife actually would have responded and said no our our marriage is in the pits right now like paul can only work and that is all he does well i had no idea about this right and so, because obviously we had a lot of communication problems going on. Well, you so, weren't, you were working so I much. I was just working so much. Yeah, it's time, hard to find time to communicate. Absolutely. And so two weeks later now, I could no longer use my arms, right? Like I, I could only voice dictate stuff, mm. right? And like, I couldn't do anything. Well, the project finally wrapped up and now I'm self-employed and I couldn't do anything. Like yeah. I, I could mm-hmm. not do anything except sit. I, I couldn't, I couldn't use a computer. I couldn't yeah. work anymore. And so for the next several months, my wife and I, we would go to these weekly, you know, marriage classes uh-huh. that we were doing, but there's a lot of homework that you do afterwards. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like, the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of right. it, right? And it was surreal as we're there surrounded by these other married couples and they've been married for like 20 years to up to 40 years, hearing them share about their marriage problems mm-hmm. and struggles. And here my wife and I are, we're here, for, we've been married for three years. And we just realized like, wow, a lot of these things that they're saying that these are reflective of issues that we're having even right now. Right. But now we actually have the time to talk through our mm-hmm. baggage and yeah. stuff. Like, previously, I'd be like, no, we don't have time to talk about yeah. that. And now we were like talking eight hours a day wow. for basically a couple months. Wow. And God really used that. And I don't think if I had not had that arm mm-hmm. injury, I never would have dedicated. What is that? Like eight, eight, eight hours times four days yeah. times two months. I mean, I never would have dedicated that all much that time. Never. Yeah. Ever, ever, ever. And yet God just whapped me up on the side of my head yeah. and just said, fine, Paul. Stop working. Boom. Wow. And God used that and, and totally revitalized our marriage. That is so amazing. I think that that just shows how God cares about us yeah. in the smallest of our details, you know, and yeah. and also like it also shows like God is going to go to what he's going to do, what he needs to do yeah. to get our attention. And he yeah. had you really useless in yeah. what you thought was all you could do. Yeah. So how long have you been doing your podcast? We started the podcast in 2018. We've okay. been doing about five years now. Man, it's so good. And, you know, we talked earlier about stories. And what was it about this this journey, this podcast, sharing stories? Why that? There's a million other podcasts you could have started. Yeah, why this? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the other things around the same time, like, again, just like unhealthy boundaries with work and allowing work to, like, affect our lives, we began asking God, like, are there other things that God wanted us to do besides just doing Texas politics? Uh-huh. And we realized that we just knew a lot of people who had unique testimonies how God had transformed their life. And I said, hey, easy, we'll make video testimonies out of these things. 
But then before we started that, I was like, you know what? That'll take a lot of time, money, expense. Let's just do this new thing called podcasting. Uh-huh. How hard can that be? Yeah. And of course, you know, famous last words. And so <laughs> that's what we've been doing now for the last five years. And it's been an extraordinary chance to just to be face to face with someone else as they share their testimony, mm-hmm. how God transformed their life. Yeah. It was not too long ago, actually. I've, I've listened to several episodes of On the Other Side, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's been really cool, I think, even for you to experience yeah. this, just hearing someone else, like, and you're there face to face with them. Yeah. You're hearing like, wow. You have been so close to seeing the hand of God so mm-hmm. evidently moving in your life. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, I, I want to learn everything I can about this experience. Yeah. Uh, when Aaron and I did On the Other Side, the podcast that we created uh, two seasons, that was just one of my favorite things because yeah. you're sitting there and you're hearing someone's like transformation yeah. of Jesus. I just, in our end of the year episode, I interviewed uh, all of our teammates and our my teammate Ashley said that one of her things favorite shows on the happy hour are the ones where people have walked through something hard. Yeah. And we didn't get to dive into that conversation because we were just having quick interviews with my teammates. But what I wanted to say to her and what I think you would say as well is that like God uses those hardships in others' lives and in our own personal lives yeah. to really shine a light on like his goodness and his yeah. glory in the midst of difficult. And for me, the reason it's important, and I think that you would say the same thing, I'll give you an opportunity to say it, is life is hard. Yeah. It is just plain hard. There's no way around it. You yeah. can't go around you can't go around it, under it, over it. You have to go through it. Yeah. And it's hard. And so when we hear stories of people who have gone before us, yeah. it's encouraging. Yeah. And also stories are so memorable. Think about the Bible itself. The the, the Bible starts off with a story. Yeah. It's in the beginning, uh-huh. right? In the beginning, God yeah. cre- and it tells a story, the narrative of how God created the world and everything that happens mm. there. If you ask a little kid and we've got three little kids at my house right now. We've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. And we got another one, one on due in April. I, I know, I know. Say, yeah. Super busy. But if we ask our little kids, like, hey, what's your favorite part about the Bible? They're not going to recite, oh, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord. No, 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 no. They're going to talk about David and Goliath, mm-hmm. Noah and the ark, Moses and the Red Sea. They're going to tell you a story. Yeah. And think about Jesus, the greatest storyteller ever, yeah. right? Like he was constantly yeah. telling stories and inserting stories and teaching moments. And even the story of Jesus, mm-hmm. there's four gospels. They're all stories. Yep. And that's how God communicates with us because our brains are hardwired that way to receive information because we can identify mm-hmm. in someone else's story because we can see our own life there yeah. also. Um, um, I was listening to one of your stories on the way to work today, and I texted a picture of myself to some of my teammates with just tears coming down my face. Mm. Um, and we're actually going to play a clip from this episode, but I want you to set it up a little bit about this, the clip that we're going to hear right now. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lady, her name is Evelyn Husband Thompson, and she lives in Houston. And 20 years ago, her husband was selected to be the commander of the Space Shuttle Columbia. And when you're listening to this episode right now, this will be the day before the 20th anniversary of the events that you're about to hear. Yeah, such a tragedy. So here's a part of this episode. Hey there, this is Paul Hastings, the host of Compelled Podcast. Compelled uses gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming Christians around the world. We've partnered with The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey to bring you a special extended preview of our Compelled episode remembering the 20th anniversary of the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. Today, our guest is Evelyn Husband Thompson. Her husband, Rick, was selected by NASA to be an astronaut in 1994 and was the commander of the Space Shuttle Columbia in 2003. While Evelyn knew that her husband always faced dangers inherent with being an astronaut, she was eventually confronted with a moment where she would have to trust the Lord no matter what. This is Evelyn's story and how she saw God at work. So please lean in and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. 
This past March, I interviewed Evelyn at her home church in Houston. She explained how she grew up in West Texas her entire life and gave her life to the Lord when she was 13. A few years later, at a church camp, that faith became very real and it was cemented for her. Strangely enough, Evelyn grew up only a mile away from her future husband, Rick Husband, and even went to the same high school with him, but they never officially met. And yes, to be clear, Rick's last name was Husband, spelled just like husband and wife. And yes, I'm sure that there were many puns to be made about that, but obviously not something that bothered Evelyn. He graduated a year ahead of me and went on to college at Texas Tech University, and I followed the next year. And we met at a basketball game. I went with a group of girls and he went with a group of guys and we actually only sat a row apart from each other. And so when he saw me walk in, he recognized me from from home, from Amarillo. And so he just racked his brain to remember my name. And so (laughs) this is back in the dark ages. So you call the school operator and ask for Evelyn Neely, which was my maiden name. Yeah. So he called me, said that, you know, he had sat near me at the game and I had noticed him as well. I said, yeah, I remember seeing you and I knew that we went to high school together. But it was funny because I answered the phone, Kappa Pledge Evelyn, because I was pledging a sorority and he almost hung up because he was not really interested in dating somebody in a sorority. And thankfully he didn't hang up. So we talked and then he ended up asking me out on a date. We went on our first date and on that date, he took me to dinner. And so he also knocked his water off and I had to move seconds before it completely flooded all over me and he bumped his head on the light above our our table so it's swinging while he's talking to me. Um, Just a great guy, very humble, very easy to talk to, very relaxed. Yeah. As we were visiting, he shared with me that he wanted to be an astronaut. So never, never had heard that before. On the first date. <laughs> yes. Well, we were just talking about what our life dreams were, yeah. goals, and he told me he was studying engineering, and so he had wanted to be an astronaut since he was four. Wow. And then I had to laugh because he told me that he had, for a very short period of time, wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy, but he realized that that was pretty much going to be impossible. Like, being an astronaut would be totally possible. Uh-huh. But he was just extremely interesting and very humble. I mean, he, he was not egotistical at all. And so it was just a, a very sweet first date. Evelyn and Rick hit it off and dated for the next five years. Rick was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Air Force. And in 1982, they got married. For the next few years, the Air Force moved them around to various locations in the U.S. until Rick was accepted in the test pilot school at Edwards Air Force Base in California, which was a critical step to becoming an astronaut. During this time, they struggled with getting pregnant, but eventually they had their first daughter, Laura. We had walked through some difficulties in our marriage. We had walked through some some challenges, and certainly going through miscarriages was, was extremely difficult. But after we had Laura, and after he had graduated from test pilot school, I was, you know, breastfeeding her and up all night with her. And this is before cell phones and all this. So I mean, it was me and God, which was actually awesome. And so I just found myself really drawing closer to the Lord just in the middle of the night in that quiet time with with Laura um, as an infant, and kept sharing all of these things with with Rick, we had made the decision just in that time period, to try a church. And the pastor there, Dave Prather, just preached phenomenal sermons and did a whole series on overcoming. And his series on overcoming um, included overcoming anger, overcoming financial worries, and overcoming guilt. Overcoming guilt got two weeks. 
and it was a really profound series. And I just found myself becoming more and more exasperated a little bit with Rick because I could feel the Lord really moving me along. And he just felt like he was really tethered, that he just was not drawing closer to the Lord like I was. And it's not a competition, but I just wanted him as my husband and as our spiritual leader. And I, I wanted him to be growing. And I just finally asked him. Laura was about nine months old, and I asked him, what, what, what is going on? And got a much larger answer than I expected. He had developed a relationship with this woman when he went through some training that was inappropriate. It was an emotional friendship, and it was just way more than it should have been. And he had carried that um, for several years, and he was just broken over it, absolutely broken over it. So he proceeded to unpack all of this. And then I also found out before we were married that there were other people, which he had never told me before. And so it was awful. I mean, it was a very difficult time for us. But he unpacked all of that. And I mean, we stayed up most of the night crying. And I think part of the fact that Laura was asleep in her crib and she was nine or 10 months old really helped anchor me that I wanted to work through this. But the Lord was in the midst of all of it, and He was in the midst of strengthening us. And I mean, He knew the ultimate journey we would be on. We always looked back and saw the Lord just building this very firm foundation with Him and with each other. Yeah. And it started there. So we were very broken. It was very hard just to go through the healing process. It Mm. was not easy. Yeah. And he had applied for NASA. He'd applied to be an astronaut. He had interviewed even and was in the final final group and found out that he wasn't selected. We recognized almost immediately what the Lord was doing. That was a touchstone of change in Rick Husband's life. He became a man after God's heart. He pursued the Lord like he never had before. He wanted to be a godly man. He wanted to be a godly husband and a godly father. His quiet time started stretching and expanding to an hour a day, and it was very genuine. Yeah, I mean, it was a long process. This isn't something that you just snap out of. Yeah. And it was beautiful to watch through those months what, what the Lord did to him and instructing him and growing him. And one of the most pivotal points that Rick liked to talk about a lot afterwards was the Lord really pursued Rick's heart. And what were the desires of his heart? His knee-jerk reaction or knee-jerk answer to that, what are your desires, was always, I want to be an astronaut. That had been always his pat answer. That's what he would say. But the Lord really pressed him on that and said, no, really, what, what are the desires of your heart? And as Rick studied that, prayed about that, meditated on that for a long, long time, not just one day, but weeks, He came to the conclusion that the desires of his heart were, number one, to have a strong relationship with the Lord and to be the best husband and father that he could possibly be, Mm. that those were the desires of his heart. He would love to be an astronaut, but the desires of his heart had shifted to have this relationship with the Lord that was paramount and first and to be a great husband and to be a great dad. And so I think the Lord had to get all of those ducks in a row in his life 
um, I've always found, and, and Rick believed this as well, that God does things with decency and order. And we could certainly see that in this process. With the baggage from the past revealed and cleaned out, the husbands were in a much better place. And Rick's priorities were clear for him, with God first, family second, and job third. In 1992, the Air Force sent Rick to England as an exchange test pilot for a three-year term. Evelyn and Rick made some very close friends there and grew deeper in their faith and in their marriage. But then, in 1994, the same week they discovered they were pregnant with their second child, Rick got a call from NASA. Out of 3,000 applications, Rick was asked to join the newest class of astronauts. And of course, he said yes. Soon, they moved to Houston, Texas, where Rick began astronaut candidate school, which took about a year and a half. It's just learning all of the systems, all of the training, simulators, flying. So he flew T-38s once he arrived here. That's the jet of choice for NASA. And that was also the jet he learned to fly in originally in the Air Force, T-37s and T-38s. So T-38s are the airplane that, that NASA flies, a two-seater. So everyone would train and fly in that. And so he just had a very full schedule of training. He was in a class of 20-something people. And so they went through this year and a half of training. It was a whole new world of information and things to learn. And even through both of his missions, when he studied, he would study for hours every single day yeah. about systems and what he had to do. So it was a very intensive job. It was a huge adjustment. And when he first did that, we could not find the rhythm as a family. Mm. He would come home you know, around dinner time, jump in and help me with dinner. I mean, help with, with Laura with her homework or whatever. So he was very hands-on, but we just, we could not get the rhythm of where he would have those hours to study and still have time with Lauren Matthew. And we finally figured it out. It, he really had to pray about it because he was very um, frustrated about it because even though he was really good at what he had been doing and was well-trained, this was yet another level and he had to be up to speed on on the console of everything he's responsible for in the space shuttle as a pilot. So it's a big deal, and there's yeah. a lot of systems to learn. So it's no small feat. And um, we prayed about it for a very long time, and we figured out a, a way to do it. And so when he came home, we would eat dinner and spend some time with Lauren Matthew, put him to bed, and we would go to bed. So we, we were stay-up night owls, but we went to bed early, 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 and then he would get up at three in the morning or whenever he got up and just start studying and then wow. do his entire day. But it worked. And and that um, was a game changer for him, just with his job performance, but also feeling like he had time with us. After four years of intensive training, Rick's big day finally arrived and he flew to space for the first time in May of 1999 as the pilot of the Space Shuttle Discovery on STS Mission 96. It was a 10-day mission and they flew almost 4 million miles. The first time he flew was in May of 99. It, it was just a very active time, and he um, was extremely excited. And we were thrilled about it all. It was just, you know, a huge big deal. And after the mission was over, I can remember standing there in the room where they took the spouses to meet the crew. And it was almost like a garage door that got raised up. We were in this room, and they just brought them in. And they're still wobbly because they've been in space. It, it was just amazing to see his face. We just had some time alone, and he could walk through the whole mission and all of what he had experienced. And, you know, I really, really wanted to hear about all of it, but I wanted to hear about, about 
what his encounters had been with the Lord there. And yeah. his comments were not what I expected, but they were really interesting to me. So he got asked many times later about that, if he felt closer to the Lord in space, and he would say, no. <laughs> and you wouldn't expect someone to say that. But he said, it's a different perspective. It's an incredible view of God's creation. Phenomenal view. Un- un- fathomable view of God's creation. But the Lord's right here inside my heart. And so He's the same as I'm sitting in my chair at home having a quiet time and just wanting to cry because I feel so close to Him. There's no difference in that and in space. And I just thought that was profound. Yeah. I just thought it was profound. Um, But it just, He had so much fun. It was everything He had ever Expect. I mean, he thought floating was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Just working in microgravity. He just, he had a ball from the beginning to the end. And it was wonderful for us as a couple, for him just to be able to one-on-one just tell me all about it. We had an incredible meal while we were still in Florida before we flew home to, to Texas the next day and watched the sunset. And he said, you have no idea how significant is that the Lord makes the sunset like this and slow and beautiful because in space it's every 45 minutes very quick Yeah. and he said the Lord really gives us a lot to enjoy and to be blessed by after Rick landed he had not been in his post flight stuff very long and he was approached by the chief of the astronaut office and asked him if he was interested in, in flying another mission sooner than later, and this time as the commander. And that just doesn't happen. So he was too humble to, to brag about it. He didn't brag about anything, but too humble to say it. But typically a pilot would fly twice in the pilot seat before they flew as a commander of a mission in the left seat. Rick was assigned to STS Mission 107 on the space shuttle Columbia, which would not launch until four years later, but there was already much to do. Six other members of the shuttle crew were selected, each with different skills and backgrounds, including Elon Ramon, the first Israeli to go to space, and Mike Anderson, one of their neighbors who was also an astronaut and went to the same church with Rick and Evelyn. Mike's wife, Sandy, was also a close friend of Evelyn's. The buildup to the mission included extensive preparation, not only to fly the shuttle and to live in space, but also to conduct the various experiments they would carry out on board. But while the crew prepared for this mission as much as they possibly could, no one could foresee the tragic ending to their time in space. More on that after the break. Thanks to Pine Cove Summer Camps for supporting the happy hour. I know that 2023 has only just begun, but this is actually the perfect time to start thinking about your kids' summer plans. My kids have loved their camp experience at Pine Cove, and here's why. Pine Cove Camps offers a safe place of belonging and community. It's a safe environment where campers often say that they felt free to be themselves without judgment for the first time. Campers have community as well as a shared foundation of gospel truth. Pine Cove Camps is a Christ-centered, others-focused, and seriously fun uh, camp with over 50 years of experience. Every kid is going to hear the gospel. They're going to see it lived out. Their college summer staff are amazing Christian role models that you will definitely want your kids to be around. Start a new summer tradition for your child at Pine Cove this summer with camp locations in Texas, Georgia, and South Carolina. Check out pinecove.com. Use the code HAPPYHOUR250 for $250 off a first-time overnight youth camp registration. Welcome back to Compelled. 
Just to remind you, we've partnered with The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey to bring you a special extended preview of our Compelled episode remembering the 20th anniversary of the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. Our guest, Evelyn Husband Thompson, had just shared with us that after her husband Rick's first trip to space, he was asked to be the commander of his next mission, this time on the Space Shuttle Columbia. By the time Columbia would launch, Rick and Evelyn's daughter Laura was 12, and their son Matthew was 7. It was another exciting mission, one that Rick had prepared for for years. But what Evelyn didn't realize was that God had likewise been preparing her for years for the difficult days that were about to come. So he shared with me um, just prior to going to quarantine that he'd had an idea that he really wanted to um, make videotapes for Laura and Matthew of um, devotions. So they each had a devotional book that they went through every day. And the vast majority of the time, he's the one that went through it with them. And he said, I really want to keep that up while I'm in space. And I think the best way to do it is if I make a tape for Laura and a tape for Matthew. And then they can just watch it every morning or every evening. Um, And it's just little cute, sweet devotional books for kids. And it would have the Bible verse and the little story that went with it and a prayer. And then Rick would just say a few sweet things to them, not very long. So he made tapes for Laura and he made tapes for Matthew. And he was very determined to get these finished, even though he had a to-do list that was pretty alarming. Um, he's going to space, he's y'all. He's ready to go into space. There's a lot happening. Um, so even after he's in quarantine, he could actually come to the house during the day because he could be around me. Um, he just couldn't be around Laura and Matthew um, and so he made some of more. He made some of the tapes at home actually, and made some in the crew quarters when he was in, in quarantine. We had waited and waited for them to launch, and they had a, a, a launch date that I can't even remember anymore because I think it changed seventeen times. So there were different problems with the orbiter, different problems with whatever um, that would postpone the launch date. The night before he flew, he had been studying Joshua, and he quoted from memory, Joshua 1, 6 through 9, and talking about the Lord will be with you wherever you go. And it was just amazing. It was just such a, a sweet time. We we both felt like we were in a Holy Spirit bubble. I just yeah. don't know how to describe it, but we felt very much at peace, very excited, um, just really looking forward to everything. So launch morning was just beautiful. I'm on the roof of the launch control center outside, three miles from the launch pad, and that's as close as you can get. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. I mean, you're nervous. I mean, you want everything to go well because you've had a visual of Challenger. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. As it's lifting from the launch pad, you can feel it. It's powerful. It's very powerful, very emotional. We watch the launch. We get presented gifts afterwards. So the kids got their devotional tapes and really sweet notes from Rick and flowers for me and just different things that he'd made arrangements for. With Rick, especially being the commander, it was really awesome because I could hear him, even if I couldn't see him on camera on the NASA channel, which we kept on the TV most of the time, 
some of it was kind of boring, to be honest with you. I mean, they did 80 different experiments, and some of them were like watching grass grow. I mean, it was not anything that was riveting. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could see a scientist get kind of excited. So I thought, okay, this is a big deal, but I don't, you know, I'm trying to be excited with you. Yeah. Um, but I could hear Rick's voice, and it was just fun to follow the mission and everything that they were doing. And so mm. they were in space for 16 days. Um, and during that time, my mom came and stayed with me because a lot of nights I could go up to Mission Control and either talk to Rick or just at least watch different things that they were doing in the mission and she could be there with my children while they were asleep. So the day before they land, NASA gathers the families. They fly them to, to Kennedy Space Center. We were set up um, in a two-bedroom condo that they, they put us in. Um, and the plan was is they were going to land the next morning and then the he would spend the night there with us that night, and then we would all fly together back to Johnson Space Center the next day. They had planned a huge welcoming thing from the school. They had a huge banner everybody had signed. And I mean, you know, all of our friends and family were really excited to go out to Ellington Field to welcome them home. It was hard to get Laura and Matthew to go to bed that night because they were just really excited to see their dad. I didn't sleep very much that night. I was fortunately in a different bedroom than them, and so I could stay up and I had the TV on and just could hear Rick going through all the depths to ready the vehicle to come in for landing. And so it was just really cool to hear him talking back and forth with Mission Control. And I was just so excited to see him. I just couldn't wait. And it'd been a long two, it'd been a long two weeks. Yeah. Um, and it, as it would be for any family if, if dad's away, I mean, it's just long. I mean, I was just ready. I was ready for him to be home. Yeah. So early that next morning, I got Laura up first, and um, we went and stood out on the balcony, and we could see the ocean, and I told Laura, I said, this is going to be a day you'll never forget, and I just played with her hair, um, her beautiful long blonde hair, and just said, this is going to be an amazing day. She watched her tape that Rick, um, who said to her, Laura, I can't wait to see you. Um, I can't wait to see you today. The only reason we won't see each other is if there's a weather delay or something happens, and it might be a day or two, but it'll be soon and I can't wait to see you and so he closed out his devotional tape with with her and I love you and all of that we got out and, and got in our um, motorcade this is always the thing that shuttle kids think is beyond belief because we have a police escort so we get to run all the red lights so that is just a big deal for nice. them and the Cocoa Beach isn't big and there's not that many red lights but the few they have we get to drive through them so they think that that's just <laughs> a magnificent <laughs> thing yeah we head out to Kennedy. Um, they take us on the landing strip, and we're, we're um, in a special section of bleachers that are just for family. So there's a huge speaker that's just in the corner of the area that we're at, and the landing strip's right out in front of us. There's a huge clock, and it's counting down the minutes of when anticipated landing. And so everybody's just in a really happy mood. And I can hear Rick just how the you know, I'm talking to people, I'm not really paying attention, but I can hear him talking back and forth to Mission Control as the commander. And then I knew that they would go through this um, period that there was no communication when they would enter the Earth's atmosphere, that there was a certain point that, that they have no, no communication. So after they passed through that, that period of time, um, they start trying to reconnect with the shuttle and they tried on various frequencies, different every frequency that they have, and they cannot reach them. I think Rick says a couple of words, but he's cut off. About a minute or so, minute or two out, I asked Steve Lindsay, my contingency officer, um, which direction are they 
coming in to land. And so he, and he said, just hang on a minute. And I just got a little ping in my gut. I'm just thinking, I hope everything's okay. I mean, I really didn't have a huge indication that something was wrong. Um, but I just I thought, I hope, I, hope, I hope everything's all right. And then I, Laura and Matthew were, were nearby, and I just said, y'all come and stand here with me, because I mean, they're getting, re they're getting ready to land. And um, so we're watching the clock, and we're watching it a little bit more closely now. The numbers start counting down to a minute, down and down, and I, I knew that we should have already heard a sonic boom, and there was no sonic boom. And I was near uh, Rick's mom and Rick's brother, and I said, I said, that, I said I'm, we haven't heard a sonic boom. And Keith was an airline pilot, Rick's brother, and he said, I don't think we're gonna hear a sonic boom. So that same thing in my stomach, and I looked at Steve, and I was just, I said, when are we gonna hear the sonic boom? And you know he was on the phone by then, and I started noticing all of the men from NASA, all of the VIP guests, whoever these people were, pouring out of the bleachers, and they're all on cell phones. So we're standing there, and I'm holding Lauren Matthews' hands at this point, and we watch the clock count down to zero. And there's been no sonic boom, and there's no landing. And. I just don't, I don't know what to think. Um, I remember looking up at the sky and just thinking, Lord, is Rick okay? And not being able to comprehend that he might not be. Laura and Matthew were not very talkative, but both of them said, is daddy okay? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And pretty soon after that, we were shuffled out um, from this viewing area and our special agents were all standing there that it, we'd had so much fun with just before. And one particular man, one precious man named Roger, he just looked at me and he said, Evelyn, I'm so sorry. And I thought, what on earth is he saying to me? I mean, I don't know anything yet. What is he saying to me? And I become aware um, for the first time <laughs> of, of the press and the press is is kind of off to the side, but they're focusing all these cameras on us and taking pictures of us. And it's, it's a very surreal moment. We knew something wasn't right. My one and only focus was Laura and Matthew, <laughs> making sure that they were okay. <clears throat> and so we load, we load in the cars, and the press is taking pictures of us. They're trying to talk to us. People are keeping them away and they drive us the short distance to crew quarters. And all of the astronauts had stayed in their bedrooms in crew quarters a few nights before their launch. So they let us just go to their bedrooms. Rick had his own room, his name was on the door, his duffel bag was there with his clothes, even his wallet, because you don't need a wallet in space. So all of his, all of his personal stuff was there. I couldn't even cry, I didn't know what to do. We're all just in a state of shock. So I called my dad. And when I, when I called my dad, he was at home in Amarillo and he'd been watching it on TV. Mm -hmm. and he's sobbing when, I, when he answers the phone. And I just said, Daddy, I said, is Rick okay? And he said, I don't think so. He's not okay. I thought it was kind of a 
blessing touch from the Lord that he allowed it to be my dad that told me first. And we didn't have any TVs on there. The rest of the world was watching that horrible um, scene of all these streaks across the sky. They eventually gathered us all into a conference room and told us very definitively that, um, that the crew had, had all died. Not mine, but one of the children just started wailing. Um, it was devastating. We're just in shock. We don't know how to walk through this. It had been such a happy time. It had been such a joyous experience with everybody, and now, now this. And so, not too long after, I think that they had President Bush on the phone, who was very compassionate. I don't remember a word he said. You know, I just, your mind is um, in a kind of a numb place. It's hard to explain, it's very surreal. But I know he said really kind words and was very thought, thoughtful. And everybody just had to find their way. The devastation was complete. Evelyn describes those hours as some of the hardest in her life. At the time, no one was exactly sure what had gone wrong, except that Space Shuttle Columbia had disintegrated during re-entry and burned up, instantly killing all on board. For Evelyn, this was her darkest hour. But as she was about to find out, it would be the same moment when God was about to show his care for her the most, which you can hear by tuning into the rest of Evelyn's story on our podcast, Compelled. Simply search for Compelled on your favorite podcast app or visit compelledpodcast.com and look for episode 46, The Final Flight of Space Shuttle Columbia. Again, you can listen to the rest of Evelyn's story and more by searching for Compelled on your favorite podcast app or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. Okay, that was the clip, and I, I need everyone to know right now that they, you just stop listening to us. Just stop the happy hour. <laughs> Go over and find um, Compelled and listen to this episode. Uh, you know, as I was listening, the thing I love about this show, we've already talked about this in the beginning of the episode, is when Evelyn's talking, and, and obviously most people listening know the end of this story. You know, I mm. mean, even from the show notes and the way you set it up and everything is that our husband passed away on that tragedy. Um, my favorite part about the episode is what people are going to hear next when they go to it and how she talks about the way that God still moved in her life after yeah. that tragedy. Yeah. That's the hope of the gospel. Yeah. You know, it's the hope of the gospel. Um, I would love to hear about any more stories you have coming up in the future. <laughs> well, that's a closely guarded secret. Our next season. Is it will, really? It is, a, it is a secret. Oh. It is a secret. So when we stop recording, can you tell me? Uh, I could tell you after we're done recording. Okay. Yeah. Wow, uh, we, guys. We, we, we hold this pretty tightly to the chest because there's a lot of possibilities, but they yeah. don't really pan out. So uh-huh. I don't want to say them until uh-huh. da, 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 da. But I'll tell you a couple of our favorite episodes yes, from the that. past okay. in case folks want to tune into those. So one of our favorite stories is with a lady named Virginia Prodan. She's episode 31. And she was an attorney in communist Romania defending Christian from the communist regime back in the 1980s. She was very successful at it. The dictator of of Romania became aware of her because she was exposing all of these religious rights violations Uh to the Western world, and he was very frustrated with her, and he was determined that someone would have to pay. One day, Virginia, and she's a small, petite lady. She's probably about 25. She's at her law office one day for the evening. A man walks in, closes the door, and says, shut up, sit down 
pulls out a gun, says, I'm here to kill you. Stop it. And he's a trained assassin sent by the dictator of Romania to kill her. Okay, the thing is, I know you talked to her, so he did not kill her. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, he did not kill her. He did not kill her. But how, what happens next, that's what's the unbelievable part. So that's episode 31. That's oh one of gosh. our favorite stories, favorite I, episodes I'm listening there. on the way home. There you go. There I you go. I subscribed to the podcast. I'm going to have to go back and find that Boom. one. Now, this is airing on January 30th. Tomorrow's the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. of the tragedy that happened when Columbia, the spaceship, um, never made it back in. I didn't yeah. actually understand the story to listen to. Never made it back in. Um, when is your next season? May 1st. Okay. Okay. Got May it. 1st. So that's what we have to wait for. Yeah. Yeah. And you won't tell us anything. No. Nope. Golly, Paul. A secret now. A secret. Wow. Okay. What if some, oh, I have, what if someone's listening and like, I know someone with an unbelievable yeah. story. How do they, how do you find your people? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So all of our guests have normally been a friend or a friend of a friend or a listener yeah. who sends us a recommendation. So we have a pretty strict vetting process that we put all of our guests through and then we'll add them to our nationwide spreadsheet. And then when I'm traveling for work or vacation or just traveling to interview a guest, then I'll contact all the guests locally in the area. So we'll do all of our recordings are in person, live live. Uh, so we keep so how it. do they reach out to you? Uh, you can email me. Okay. Paul at compelledpodcast.com. Look at you putting your email out there, Paul. Look That's at right. you. Well, I want to thank you for, A, letting us share part of this on yeah. the happy hour. I say all the time, we, the, we believe stories change the world. Amen. And you are doing that with your show. And so we're just such a fan of it. And um, thanks for letting us share the clip. Everyone go finish the, the episode. Do we know what episode number that is? I'm sorry. Uh, I think it's episode 46. Evelyn is? Yes. Okay, episode 46. Go listen to that. Um, does she still live in Houston? She does. I, I was so impressed by her. Yeah. Yeah. She's such a sweet lady. When we recorded her interview, uh, my kids and my wife were actually out in the hotel lobby. Okay. She, we were at, um, I forget the name of the church, but it's the church where uh, Matt Carter is now the pastor at. Sagemont. Sagemont. Yes, uh-huh. it was a Sagemont. And uh, when we were done recording, she comes out and she sees my three little kids and my wife. Actually, it was two little kids at that point. And she just went over and like, we didn't, you know, we didn't know this later. Yeah. And she just goes and befriends herself to my wife and the kids. Mm-hmm. And she spent probably like 20 minutes just talking with my wife about parenting yeah. and everything about that. So very sweet, very nice lady. I'll tell you, I don't know if this is in the clip or not, but one of the moments that really struck me was, I feel like I would cry thinking about this again, but when Mm. she said in the, in the interview with you that when they were on their way home, um, in the car Mm. from where the airplane was taking them home and the thing was their house was decorated to welcome her husband home. There are signs everywhere and you know, he never comes home because he died. She looked at her son, Matthew, and she said, hey, if you want to go across the street and play with your friend when we get home, you can. Yeah. And he was like seven, I think, and or maybe even five. And he said he looked at her and he was like, mom, why would I want to do that? And she goes, I just want you to know if you want to go play with your friend when we get home, you can. And she said in the interview, she said, I wanted it to be the first. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> she said, it was one of the first ways I could tell my kids that we were going to survive, that we were going to live, that there would be life after this tragedy. Yeah. And I think people who've walked through tragedy understand that. And for those of us who believe in God and believe that there is life after yeah. tragedy because we have hope in Jesus, yeah. I appreciated that part of her story so much. And so thank you for including that. I can't believe I'm crying. You're welcome, Jamie. This, this is great. You're going to make me cry now. <laughs> um, but that's what stories do is they, they really help us trust Jesus. So, Paul, thank you for coming on the Happy thank Hour Thank you, today. Jamie. Appreciate it. Um, I, I can't leave without asking you what you're reading these days. Jamie wants to know, Jamie wants to know, we want to know what you're reading. Okay, three books I've read recently. One is uh, Just Do It. Oh, I want to uh, read about this. Nike. Yeah, great story. Uh, another one is Ride of a Lifetime. It's the story of Bob Iger, who okay. became CEO of Disney. Uh-huh. He just became CEO again, actually, 
Oh, what? I didn't even know that. Yeah, okay. yeah, lots of controversy there. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> uh, and a third book, I just read this uh, recently, uh, is called, uh, what's it called? The Hype Handbook. It's about marketing. Look at so, you. Yeah. All your books kind of have a theme. I, I said uh, a business theme right there. Business going theme on. Right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Paul, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. All right, you guys, there was Paul Hastings. Isn't he just like the best? I love chatting with him. He was said so much excitement and he was so enthusiastic. And I just love the work that he's doing. In all seriousness, head over and subscribe to his podcast called Compelled. It's a podcast sharing unique stories about God transforming Christians around the world. I'm a listener. I love it. And go listen to the entire clip about Evelyn Husband Thompson. I just bawled my my eyes out listening to that whole show. So go listen to the whole clip. You're going to want to hear it, especially as we remember the 20th anniversary of the Columbia tragedy uh, this week. You guys, thanks for listening. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey. Produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Edited by Angie Elkins. Art by Jen Jet Barrett. Original music by Matt Graham. And I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.